There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today took the challenges that COVID-19 presented to his business as an opportunity to use his knowledge and come up with a new, hugely useful product. Matt Connolly is the co-founder and chief growth officer of Me3D, a Wollongong-based maker of 3D printers and software, who since 2014 have worked with schools to include 3D printing in their curriculums, teaching kids as young as six how to imagine, design, and create 3D models. Starting out from his garage back in 2012, Matt realised there was a need for good hardware for kids in schools. So after securing an Australia-wide distributor, Matt and his team worked around the clock to fulfil orders flying right out the door. That was until COVID-19 hit. Matt and his team knew they had to do something, so they focused their attention on using the skills and technology they had available to fill a gap that they identified in the market. Me3D now use their 3D printing hardware and software to design and produce face shields for medical use, and in a matter of days, they had prototypes and an initial production of 1,000 units delivered to hospitals. I want to ask Matt, where did his interest in 3D printing and his mechanical engineering sort of drive come from? How they started to develop their software, how they became educators, real educators for kids and schools and teachers and principals, how they pivoted into the new business that is creating new medical equipment, and where they're going to take their technology, where they're going to take this me3D printing business. Are they going to move it from being just a producer of 3D printers, or are they going to become more heavily engaged in being a software developer? So let's get into it. Matt Connolly, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having me. I've got a whole lot of goodies here in front of me, but before I get into the goodies, all the different things we've got in front of us here, uh, tell me a story. Like, who the hell is Matt Connolly? Give me the deal. <laughs> Where'd you come from today? Um, I came up from Wollongong. Yeah. It's a nice little trip. Can I just stop you there for a second? Many years ago, I mean, you're a tech guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, one way of describing you as a tech guy, I guess it's fair to say. And Wollongong, I did a speech down there a few years ago, and uh, and I said Wollongong could become a, a tech hub. I mean, yeah. is there some sort of a moment here where I'm actually witnessing what I talked about ten years ago? Yeah, I think I think you probably are. So, I mean, it's it's transitioning from a from a steel town into a into an education town and into a, a tech town. I mean, there's a, a big accelerator that's that's popped up, um, and over the last six years, that's brought through quite a lot of new tech jobs and new startups that have grown, exited, they're now looking for, for new things. So but who's behind the accelerator? It was originally the um, University of Wollongong. They put forward the, the yep. money. Yep. Um, and it's operated completely independently. 
Right. So that's that's developed this this new ecosystem around Wollongong. Has Wollongong supported it? What I mean by that is, um, you know, local council supported. I mean, yeah. when I, not necessarily a doe, but be better if there is money in it. But uh, it's being supported by everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even even to the point that some of the more innovative teams from the Wollongong Council have come into the accelerator to be away from the normal bureaucracy to develop new products and new ideas. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, I just always thought it was a good idea that a place like Wollongong um, could actually pivot, Yeah. <laughs> funnily enough, uh, um, to something different. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's a nice place to be, to be frank with you, because uh, – it's got beaches, everything. Everything's pretty close to the beaches. It's yep. not like Sydney with massive amounts of traffic. It's only an hour or two way out of Sydney. It's not that far. It's a cool place to live. Cheaper. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Maybe getting a bit more expensive now. Yeah. But well, um, all the all the factors are there, you know, so it makes sense that Wollongong should be a place like this. Yeah. And it's certainly a place, especially this year, when everyone is able to now work from home magically. Everyone's moving to you know, places like Wollongong because they don't have to commute into Sydney every single day. It's a funny, I was talking to someone this morning about, you know, the, the future of um, rentals and big city buildings and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I thought to myself, you know, like at the end of the day, let's say I was just starting off as a, you know, as an engineer or something like that, or something that I could, where I could work from home effectively. My preference would be to work from home. Many years ago, I was always big on uh, you know, having city living, having an apartment in the mm-hmm. city because that way I could get to my work really easy. Yep. But now I'm not like, I don't think that way now. I, I think to myself, well, if I was a person who could earn his money from home, I'd rather work from home. And if I was at home, I don't know if I want to live in Sydney necessarily. Yep. So I, I think if you're listening to this, um, people listening to this, we've got to start to think about these sorts of things. Um, the, the the world is changing structurally. It won't be a complete change, but it is changing structurally. So, you know, technology you know, you've got to go find the hubs. Uh, you know, where are the people? Because you need yeah. brains. You need people who are enthusiastic about what you do. We'll talk about that in a minute. But enthusiastic about technology. You've got to have get councils that support it. You've got to get universities. That's important. Yeah. Universities support it because they, that's the mind from where or the nursery from where you will find the people going to end up working for you and are like-minded. So it's pretty cool. I, I'm actually glad you drove all the way from Wollongong today yeah. to tell <laughs> us this because it just reminded me of the fact that Wollongong was always a great technology hub. Let's – Scrape that away. <laughs> Second, I, I got off that rant. That was great. So, just but tell me about Matt. So, how old are you now? Yeah, uh, thirty or about to turn thirty-seven. Thirty-seven, married. Yep, kids. Yep. Got two kids. Two kids. Okay. Yeah. And let's go back to when Matt was uh, eighteen. Yeah, seventeen. At school, did you grow up in Wollongong? Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Okay. So, when you're at school, what was going on? Like, you tell me. Like, what were you thinking about? Were you thinking about one day you're going to end up becoming this guy? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I mean. My family's full of engineers. My dad was a civil engineer for the Wollongong Council. My uncle's an engineer. My my sister went into a, a technical medical field. I I think I always wanted to go into something technical, learning learning how things are made. Yeah, yeah. I've always been into models, hobbies. You know, ma- making stuff at home. What do you mean by models? You mean uh, like the Meccano like, sets? Or yeah, talk- like, like um, RC models. So remote control planes, drones, yeah. that sort of stuff. Because you can kind of I don't know, you can make it all in garage and then you can go and fly it and crash it and then you get to build it all over again. Yeah, so I I think I I was drawn into Wollongong Uni because they have a really good mechanical engineering degree. Well, you can explain to everyone what a mechanical engineer is. I mean, people are thinking someone to fix a car, but what is a mechanical engineer? They yeah. can fix a car, but what is a mechanical engineer? I mean, basically we look at how hot things get, 
how fast things can move and whether they should break. Right. Civil engineers make sure that things don't fall down and mechanical engineers throw things at those things. Right. So, I mean, my passions were sort of race cars, uh, designing systems for race cars. And the University of Wollongong had a really nice racing stream that they had there uh, where you actually made and raced a formula called a Formula SAE car. Um, and that was where I really got involved with, um, with Fletcher, um, who's one of the other co-founders. So it's a university mate. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and also, I mean, I, I was already with my then-to-be wife, but she also came onto the race team as well. Did you meet her at uni? No, I met her at high school. Yeah, but she go to uni too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So you're all there together. Yeah, you're the Mrs. Ann Fletcher. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. It sounds like something like out of a uh, some sort of Microsoft movie. You know? <laughs> you're all sitting in a garage somewhere, all thinking, thinking this shit through. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So you're all just hanging together and had a, a passion and an enthusiasm about designing things and building things. Yeah, yeah. So my my wife's an economist, so she came at it from a completely different direction. Not an engineer. Not a not a tech person, but really in that sort of business process and improvement side. Efficiencies. Efficiencies, exactly. Yeah. Which is what sort of economists like to do. We're trying yeah. to do anyway. And, and she really filled every gap that us as engineers couldn't fill. Can you ask to, to me something? I mean, I, I, I had a business for many, 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 many years, but, which has had a lot of engineers. And uh, one of the things I, I mean, you might just give me a bit of light here. Um, one of the things I noticed as engineers, I found I actually found it very hard to uh, have discourse with them, or uh, to um, actually either get my point to them, or more importantly, understand their point. Yep. I mean, is that a thing? Yeah, I think um, just like just like science communication and things like that, being a good engineering communicator is totally different than being a good engineer. Yeah, being able to know why something's going to fall down is just as important as being able to explain to all the people that are standing underneath it. Yeah. About to, yeah. Well, what, what is it a, like a stream of thinking uh, for engineers? Is it something, you know, are they brought up a different way or are they do they learn at university a different thing or do they hang out with too many engineers and they all have their own language? Because I actually yeah. sometimes find it really difficult to understand what engineers are talking about. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll always find that engineers, when they were kids, were the ones that pulled apart the toaster just to see how it worked. Um, they were the ones that, you know, I don't know, pulled apart the bike to see what was on the inside. I think engineers are really, they're born, not really trained and not really taught. But if, if you're going to be an engineer, you were always going to be an engineer. Yes. And then, then that's why like an economist or someone like your wife becomes important yeah. because you need someone to bridge the gap. I mean, you, like between like between the real world or the other uh -huh. world, the world of people out there who are going to consume your product and or buy your product or yep. whatever, you need that sort of bridge over the gap. And uh, maybe an economist like your wife is pretty important. Yeah. She fills in a lot of parts. I mean, yeah. when you're building a business like this, if you are, if it is in an engineering sense, like it's technology sense, just say technology, which requires engineering of some type, um, you need a gap builder. You need someone in there to fill the gap. Because really, you know, you're raising money, you're trying to sell to the marketplace, yeah. you're building a marketplace, you're interacting with your customers and or uh, product consumers. Engineers build great shit. A lot of time they just can't get the story across. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. We tend to build really functional things, which is not something you can sell. You know, it's funny. Many years ago, uh, I was asked to uh, take control of a, uh, a global engineering business, and they were building stuff. They, they were a technology company that uh, built technology, which today is used by all the big tech titans globally, including 
NATO and everybody. It's a, it's a security system, both software and hardware. And when I first got to the place, there was maybe 45 engineers working in this place in the city. They were all having so much fun. There's two floors of stuff being designed and they were, couldn't wait to showcase it to me and show me. But none of it could be sold. Mm. Yep. And I just said, oh, let's scrap it all. Now let's just find one thing. Let's design one thing that we can actually sell yep. where there's a demand. And unfortunately, that meant a whole lot of engineers end up having to leave because we couldn't afford them. But there was this, uh, it was like a community hub of engineers all really having a good time but spending all the money in the company designing yeah. stuff that they've probably always been dreaming of since they've been little kids. Like, I'm, I'm serious, like down in things like 007 style, yeah. you know, like uh, like bags that had special locks on them with cameras in them and all this. And it was completely useless. Can that happen in the engineering world? Yeah, if it, I guess if it's unchecked. Yeah, yeah. I guess very rarely is there something that's very cool for an engineer to work on that is also very cool for someone else to buy. That's finding those, finding that overlap between those two things is pretty rare. It's one of the things that drew me to the 3D printing stuff. Because I, I want to talk, because that, that's important. That got yeah. you to pivot properly mm. or, well, effectively. Yeah. yeah. And efficiently and within time and actually meet the markets. Because yeah. well, this story, by the way, for the listeners is about a pivot. I mean, it's about a business, but it's also about a pivot. And some of the stuff's here in front of me on the table here, but um, because, you know, someone has to be practical and sometimes necessity is the greatest mother of invention. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. getting strangled and you think, Jesus, I've got to get something here that's going to work. I've got to make a quid. Um, and, you know, COVID has done that in some respects. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mm. But let's just go back a step. So yeah. we're, we're looking at 3D stuff here, right? Yeah. So here you are, Matt, you, you, your two partners, one of whom is your wife, and Fletcher, your mate from uni, and you co-founded this business. And uh, this business was co-founded as what? What was the original foundation? Um, so in my garage, we had um, scribbled on a on like a little piece of paper it says, make printers, sell them for cash, make better printers. Printers being 3D printers. 3D printers. Yep. So it was it was founded as a hardware business. We're going to make 20 years? No, 17 years? Back to 2012. Right, okay. That was sort uh, of eight, when eight, we- Eight years. Eight right. years was yep. when we started to move forwards from this. Do you mind if I ask you to just interject because I don't know anything about your industry, but I do, and just a little bit of anecdotal stuff. So eight years ago- were printers a thing? Was 3D printing was just the thing people wanted to play around with? Is yeah, that right. 3D printers were, uh, there was two, really two phases. Um, one was really well accepted as, as a rapid prototyping process that you would use to show the boss what you wanted to make long before you had to make. As a prototype. As a prototype. So you, you're in a business and you, you've got, you have designed something either in your mind or on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and you want to, you want to present it to the boss. Yep. But you've got to build a little prototype. You build it out of plastic. Let's 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 let's, let's be really crazy and just say you're you're working for an arms manufacturer mm-hmm. and you've found worked out a really cool handgun. Yep, a new handgun. Uh, but you designed it on paper as an engineer would. Um, that'd be an industrial engineer or, or design yeah, industrial yeah, engineer, mechanical yeah. engineer, and both together. Yep. one would look made design the way it looks. The other one would design the way it works. Is that is that about right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's all written down. But then you're going to go present it to the CEO or whatever it is, and uh, they say, oh. The better way to present this to sell this in mm. is let's get it printed up. Yeah, is that what you do? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, telling someone telling someone what you want to make is is one way. Drawing a picture of what you want to make is another way. But nothing sells it like being able to actually hand over and feel it, touch it, feel it exactly. Yeah. So that that's cool. That 
sits in my hand nicely. Yeah. We're going back to the handgun, the way it yep. looks cool. Yeah. Feels right. And yep. and how, 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 I've never really seen too much of this stuff, but how real does, like in that example, could you make, and back then, eight yep. years ago, could you make a handgun that's just been printed on a 3D printer look? Yeah. I mean, how, um, how real does it look? Okay. So to give you, we'll go back, we'll go back another four or five years. In 2007, I was working for a defense company um, out in Lithgow, and we were, we were 3D printing guns. Oh, wow. For that same process. To, they don't actually fire though, do they? Yeah. Oh they, oh, they fire as well? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we had, we had developed a prototype, and we sent it to the range for, for testing. Oh, you mean to put bullets in it? Yep. Yep. Not metal, but plastic bullets? Yep. Or no, metal no, no, no. Full, fully oh, so functioning. Fully works? Yep. Okay, not just something to look at? No. No, no. So this was this was out to be tested, and we all sort of basically put bets on how long it would last. And more than three hundred rounds later, we gave up, and we went. That was that's fun. It worked. It worked. Wow. It worked. Um. So effectively, I was we were three D printing guns long before three D printing guns was a was a thing. So you 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 you're not only making prototypes, but you're actually making. Prototypes of things that actually were meant to be mm. nearly the final outcome. Yeah. yeah. And then from so then yep. let's go forward a step back to 2012. That's your mission statement. Yeah. Like in like in two or three lines. Yeah. Let's make 3D printers. Yep. That we can sell commercially to to consumers or to businesses or to whom? Mostly focused for education, going into high schools and primary schools. Yeah. Um, as a way, basically for for kids to release their imagination to get things. That either they they can't communicate well enough to get it out of their head and and onto a, a table, or to go the other way for teachers to present things in a completely different way. Um, so to present mathematics concepts in a physical way rather than just looking at it on a on a whiteboard, basically to engage the the kids that didn't really give a crap, but now all of a sudden they get to play with robots in class, and so then they have to make maths cool. Yeah, because in other words, uh, you know, if you're if you're you've got to incorporate a, a a triangle or something like that within the design, yeah. um, you can sort of incorporate Pythagoras' theorem or something. Like yeah, that, you know, yeah. To work out the the distance of the yeah of or the work out the angle or the distance of the hypotenuse or something. Yeah, yeah. and it, and just being just being around these things, they're a, I mean, they're a great babysitter. Yeah, they they draw people's attention and and people that haven't seen it before will watch it for. For hours, it's like watching a, an insect crawl along. You know, watching a, I don't know, maybe a um, a spider. You know, making a web. You just you're fascinated by what's going to happen next. So we were at a school one time. This is early, early on, um, and there was a kid there that was on a like a, a return to school program. He'd been suspended so many times that he didn't he didn't want to come to school. He didn't he saw no need in it, and he just happened to walk past when we were giving a demonstration for these, for the gifted and talented kids. And he was drawn right into it. Um, and he spent the rest of the afternoon with us and these other kids that, that he wouldn't have been normally associating with. But he was, he was all of a sudden keen on school again because the school had robots and robots are cool. You know, I've thought of myself uh, during the school holidays, what are, what are you going to do with your kids? Especially if you're a working parent. Mm. And I always thought of myself like uh these sorts of programs like be fantastic, you know. Like I got a few things here in front of me, but you know, I got a looks like a fort or something here. Um, at least some little bugs or something like that down here. Um, kids have a ball, yeah. And then also, 
they'd be fasc- fascinated by what, as you say, s- sitting there watching. A th- I don't know how long a three D printer takes to make some of this, but it wouldn't happen in a minute. Yeah. So at least they're watching the program. I would watch it. It'd be mesmerising for me. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and on top of that, they've got to design it. Yeah. Which means you can't just you can't just say the three D printer print. Um, you've got to actually give it something to print. Yeah. So tell me, because I mean, this is your business. Yeah. It's, it's not just about the printers now, is it? It's about the, the software yeah. you use to design what the printer is going to print. Yeah. The software that we developed started, we built the constraints around the software mostly around education, but looking at it really from a like a cybersecurity point of view. How would we stop bullying if all these kids' designs were, were available? Um, how would we stop you know, some kids picking on other kids by cancelling someone else's 3D print and, and things like this? So that was... That was kind of the that was the framework was of how we developed it, um, and what it's turned out to be is now I can send a three D print job anywhere in the world to a printer to a printer that's hooked up to the software, and the person at the other end can't get anything more than the piece of plastic that comes off it. Right, so you, there's no, they can't interfere with the, the design. They can't interfere with the design. They can't interfere with the printing process. And they can't interfere. They can never get the intellectual property. Yeah, so they can't. They can't affect the integrity of what's been designed. Yeah. Nor can they uh, steal steal it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for looking forwards to companies like say BMW or IKEA or those companies that are trying to send trying to send spare parts all over the world to be manufactured in different locations. That's now this sort of happy accident that's fallen out of trying to make sure that kids don't get bullied. That's pretty cool. So. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. Uh, we'll go to the break, and when I come back, I just want to sort of reconsider where, where we're at because we've gone from 2012 through to 2020 pretty fast. So I just want to go back, go to the break, come back, and just sort of rebuild. Let's get our 3D printed out and rebuild this whole thing. We'll redesign a little bit and just take me to where we are right now, but just a little bit of structure behind that. So we'll go to the break, and we'll be back in a minute. Okay, we're back from the break. I'm here with Matt Connolly. If you're going to just tell me quickly, write this uh, quick narrative, what is Me3D? What are you and your, your co-founders created here? What is it today, right now? Yep. Um, so right now, Me3D produces 3D printers that are sold into education. Yep. Um, into, into, when you say into, into schools? Into schools, yep. high schools, primary schools, um, tertiary education. Yep. We produce the software that controls other 3D printers, not just our own. Yep. And that's a cloud-based software that enables any production to happen anywhere in the world. On any printer? On any printer with a really, really, really slick workflow for people that don't do 3D printing. Right, so it's open architecture, I presume, because it has to talk to lots of different yep. non-proprietary, not your non-proprietary um, hardware or yep. printers. Yep. So you guys, you and your partners, have built this business where you design software. Yep. So the primary thing is really software. It's now the, software, yeah. Yep. And what does a software actually do? So, like, you know, like I'm a year six student yep. and uh, I want to design my own anime characters, yep. but I want to actually physically have them sitting there. I want to look like a little Japanese anime. Yep. What's this software do for me? So for that, for that case, we, we can import animation characters, so things that are structured that have limbs that move and, and work. So it's, it's, it'd be moving 3D yep. output. Yep. Yeah. And essentially we can pause at any frame 
and print that model as it is. Right. And and in terms of robotics, let's say I want to employ robotics into the thing that I'm printing, yep. just like maybe to, I don't know, do a karate chop or something because it's a yep. an anime, you know, like it's yep. some sort of warrior or something along those lines. Yeah. How do I incorporate the robotics or how do you incorporate the robotics? Yeah, into- you could do that. You could drop in standard sort of connection points. Yep. Drop those into the same model and that would, you know, basically cut away the the joint part so it could then it could then move like yep, that yep. little slug that you see there. Yep. Yep. Um yeah you could put wires in this mm. and, and uh that and, and yeah. somewhere put some power in there to make sure that this thing works yeah. or moves on its own without me doing it. Yeah. Yeah yeah. Yeah. So your business now is uh Designing printers that can go into schools, education places, then designing software that talks has arch- uh, has software architecture that can talk to your own printers and or anyone mm-hmm. else's printer of that matter. And then you can actually uh, uh, build programs for the educator to teach the person who's being educated as to how to design something as simple as this worm or whatever it is, like yep. a caterpillar. A little slug. Yep. Slug, yeah. Um, right through to stuff with robotics in it. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that's pretty cool. We've um, done that in eight years. Wow. Uh, yeah, really, a lot of the software stuff has happened in the last two and a half. And it, has that all come off the back of demand for this stuff? I mean, like, yeah. I, mean, I guess how do you make your money? Like, is it because you sell licenses for the software, or you sell just I mean, how, where's the dough? Yeah. Um. So trying to trying to pull back from the hardware sales, they're they're really attractive because they're they're high value sales. Uh, you know, a check for a uh, from a school might be ten thousand dollars. That's nice to that's nice to sell. So as a company, we're trying we are trying to pull back from selling the hardware and move more to the the SaaS profile. So selling low value subscriptions. Yeah, yeah. So that we can reach you know a much bigger audience. Also, because I mean, I would have thought someone is always going to build the hardware cheaper than you. That's right. And yep. and sometimes it doesn't have to be. I mean, you can say you've got the world's best hardware yep. design, but like at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter that much as long as it prints. Yep. Um, but it's the yep. software that feeds into that. That's right. Yeah. Is that, am I right there? Is that how you're thinking? Yeah, we can get similar sort of performance out of those much cheaper printers with our software. But you can't make it for the same price. We cannot make it for the same or price. Or make a margin. Yeah. So, yeah, because that runs down, because that's sort of what happened to our engineering business. Um, in the end, we, we had the world's best hardware, but we found we didn't need the world's best hardware um, because – you know, people were saying we don't want it to last ten years. Yep. We don't care because in two years it'll be or there'll be new innovations anyway. So we actually want to scrap it. Yep. And if you're going to build something uh, that's going to be scrapped in two years, good, make, better make it cheap because people don't like writing off stuff in two years which they bought for ten years. Mm. And no one wants to be behind in yeah. terms of technology of the thing that's been built, the, the, yep. the machine itself. Yep. I mean, I think people listening just need to hear that sort of stuff because everyone goes, oh, you know, wow, we build something that can last for 25 years because we're the best material. We've got. It's this gauge steel and it's uh, this gauge plastic and uh, it's got ruggedized uh, computer screens and blah, 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 blah. You can put it out in the rain and it, doesn't, it won't rust and, you know, you can't break it with a hammer. And, yeah, but it gives a f- – yep. because that's going to cost me a fortune. Yeah. That's what, that's what China well, does and maybe lesser to lesser – extend other places but China does that they build things as you on the assumption it's going to be pulled down or scrapped in a couple of years time yeah is that your experience yeah 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 and I mean certainly the the people that are buying the stuff they they do look at the purchase price as the number one thing yeah it's a capital outlay day one you've got to and you've got to get a return on it yep and if it's if you can say that you're you know 50% better it'll last 50% longer and if it's going to cost 50% more they're not going to go for they it. They don't want it. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, that was our mistake. We, we made that mistake. We made that mistake for about four or five years. 
Um, and then we turned up to a trade show, and mm. it was in the US, and uh, there was all this stuff there from it came out of China, and it wasn't as good as our stuff. Ours was all nice and shiny and everything. But people wanted to buy their stuff because exactly what you just said. Yep. It's fifty percent cheaper. Yeah. And yeah. we we just couldn't we couldn't compete. And then we had to step down and then we started concentrating on software. Yeah. Yeah. And the software became the game. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And that's what you're doing, isn't is it? it? That's the thing that we can we can really protect. We can protect the the stuff that happens on our on our servers, the stuff that happens in the background, we can protect that really well. And explain the open architecture too, because I mean I think people need to understand what that means. What why why you need to be able to speak to everything else. Yeah, yeah. Your so software needs to be able to speak to everything. In 3D printing, each region has got their own favorite type of 3D printer. It might have been, you know, a, someone local had developed a, a factory and developed a 3D printer, and now that is, that's very popular just in that region. Um, so that's, it'll be different in the UK versus Germany versus China versus India versus Australia. So being able to communicate with all those 3D printers is really important. Over the last sort of 10 years, all those printers have grown from basically one stem. They've used the same sort of IP at the very start and they've all grown out. So they're all, at their very root, they are all very similar. So doing that is not, is not super hard for us, um, being able to control all those 3D printers. Is it one-way traffic though? Is it, all, is it your, your, your data going into them? You're not pulling any out of them, are you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, you know, we can pull, pull a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of data out of it. Um, Are you nervous? Does everyone think uh, this guy's sort of cr- trying to uh, control all the three D <laughs> printers and knows everything's going on in the world? <laughs> that would be that would be fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I would love people to get more nervous. I mean, we we can we can send jobs across between sites. Yep, as long as both parties agree. Um, so sending jobs, say between schools, is is really easy. Um, having the Department of Education send jobs out to every one of the 3D printers, really easy. Yeah, it's just this, it's this fantastic way to maybe create like a, a really big factory that's yeah. distributed right across the state. And in terms of the designs of what gets inputted into the software, what yep. I mean by that is uh, the design that mm. you want to put on the software that you want to distribute yep. to all the various places, do you guys have any role in that or is that that actual design of, I don't know, whatever you're designing, something yep. for kids to learn at school? Do you, you get involved in that or as a school does that and sends you the design on the so, on your software? Yeah, so they'll manage it all within the software. Right, so um, you, you'll give them the software, yep. and and but do you educate the school as to how to teach the kids or, and or yeah. teachers how to use it? Yeah, we've run a lot of programs with schools, whether it's... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
face-to-face or, you know, as webinars or, you know, releasing content. Yeah, so we, we do do a lot of that sort of stuff. Tell me, why isn't there more of this? I mean, I mean, like, okay, kids do after-school care and why isn't there stuff in after-school care where they can actually sit down? Or not, you know, you were thinking mm. an idea well, those after-school places sit, make them sit down and have an apple and drink a glass of milk or something like that and do their homework. They don't. Yeah. And the kids go and play shuttlecock or something stupid or just run around like – it's okay, but it's a bit of a waste of time when they could be sort of sitting down and learning something like this. Mm. You know, uh, why isn't that happening? Yeah, for a lot of people, the just the barrier to entry has been just too high. In terms of what the dollars or no, intellectual? In, yeah, in terms of in terms of just sitting down and having to concentrate for a period of time just to get over that first hurdle. Because once you once you know it and you understand it, learning incrementally is is quite easy. But that up until this point, just getting over learning what all the jargon is, you know, or learning what, what all the lingo is for, for 3D printing has been a nightmare because um, it's, again, it's grown with the industry. So unless you are a 3D printing hobbyist where 3D printing is your hobby, it's, it's almost insurmountable to know what all these words are and what, what they mean and how they all work together. I mean, I love this topic, but we're going to run a short time. So I need to just to, to sort of walk back a little bit. You're going great. Until February this year, yep. I bet. Yep. And then yeah. what happened? Yeah. So up until up until February this year, we'd we'd made about the same revenue as we had the year before. So we were we were well on track to maybe double revenue this year. So our um, our sales cycle with the schools tends to finish early December, and then doesn't start up again until our first conferences start in sort of mid March. And then, so the first sales don't come conferences. through education conferences. So there's a few really big events yep. where all the teachers get together. Yep. All the principals are getting together. All the assistant principals are getting together in one place. In, one, in, in a few places. Yeah. 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 And the biggest one was meant to start early this year. So we were all packed. We had all of our all of our gear ready, and that was pretty much. It's like an ex- exhibition convention yeah. exhibition. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, so in Melbourne or in Sydney or. Yeah, there's there's some in Melbourne, some in Sydney, and then there's smaller ones all over the country. Right, and that's our that that's the only way for us to sell to teachers. Yep, we can't go door knocking on at schools and just sort of hope that someone's someone's yeah, going to yeah. be there. So that first conference was cancelled, and then every single conference since has been cancelled. And so we had we went from having plenty of stock ready to roll out the door the next the next day to having like no sales pipeline. Um, and that just, that, yeah, it was, it was pretty destroying actually. Yeah. How'd you feel? Uh, it was, it was hard. It was yeah. hard because we, I guess we, we'd gone, we'd gone out of our way to actually stock up. Um, so we'd burned a lot of cash in getting in stock. Yeah. Yeah. To build printers. Yeah. yeah. So we had, um, I don't know, we had a hundred odd finished printers sitting on the shelf ready to go. We had a few, um, you know, a few tens of tens of thousands of dollars in in consumables sitting on the shelf ready to go, um, and then no, just no, no way to action any of the sales, um, and then all of the progressively all the schools shut down, um, everyone went into lockdown, and now even now, schools are struggling just to just to keep open. They're struggling, particularly high schools with HSC, you know, making sure that. That's a, a fair and equitable result um, when there's no there's no external marking there's no you know there's no validation that any of this that any of their 
you know, major works are going to be marked fairly and things like that. So they're completely distracted. Yeah, they're not thinking about well, what else can we do? What's something else we can add to our curriculum? Exactly. Yeah, how can we make this more difficult? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so in other words, three D printing is sort of down the end of the the end of the line in yeah. terms of uh, if, ma- making those sorts of decisions. Yeah. And also, you probably can't haven't got an opportunity. There won't, wouldn't be any conventions or exhibitions being held. We could actually go and put a little kiosk up and nah. and hope for the school principal or the head of science walks past and says, "Hey, Matt, what's that? That looks yeah. good. Can we make an order demo, yeah. please?" Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's all gone. So, yeah. Tell me what you did. What's your pivot? Yeah. Because um, that, that, this is about pivoting right now. Because, I mean, this whole yeah. year is about pivoting to me. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were already making some stuff in our office for my sister. So making some face shields. Why, what, what's your sister? What's the deal there? Uh, she's a radiographer. Yep. Um, and at the same time, she was also struggling to get face shields, face masks, eyewear, all that sort of, all that sort of stuff that early on we just didn't have any stock in Australia at all and – and globally, it was gone. They seemed to, it, was, it looked like everyone else worked out faster than us for some reason. Whatever there was to buy, everyone else bought it. And we went, what are we going to do here? Yeah. 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 You know, no, the Aussies are, oh, we'll be right. Yeah. And uh, no, we're not right. Now, what are we going to do? Because yeah. I'm looking at a face shield, I guess is what you call yeah. it in front of me. Yeah. Was this what you're making for your sister? Yeah. Some, something similar to that. Something similar yeah. to that. Yeah. How do you work out how to build this sort of stuff? I mean, like, yeah, so we, we got then we got a phone call from sort of the, the Wollongong Hospital and the University of Wollongong. They needed very quickly, they needed 3,000 um, on the shelf, um, basically, to, yeah, basically to shore up their, their stock because they had orders in, yep. but they had no idea if they would actually arrive. So they needed stock on the shelf so that if, if everything went to shit like everyone was planning for, um, that they had everything in place. Did they give you the design or did you just go and do the design for we, them? Yeah, so we developed that design along with a, a new printing profile, a new me- a new method of 3D printing. Why? So that, that cut the manufacturing time from about an hour and a half for that blue plastic part down to sub 20 minutes. So th- this here, pre your redesign of your yep. machine, was an hour and a half, post your design is 20 minutes. Yep. Th- this bit of plastic here. Yep. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, which brings it down to a a time that is is reasonable, right? Hey, can I just say, where, like the plastic, tell me about the plastic. I mean, that's what this is made of, plastic. Yep. All 3D printing is plastic, I presume, or some um, composite of plastic and yeah. something else. Yeah. yeah. So where do you get the material from? Um, this material, so it, it comes from China. Yeah. So all of our, yeah, more problems with, um, with supply chain, but um, yeah, so that's a recyclable, biodegradable plastic. Right. Um, it's the same as the disposable coffee cup lids um, and all the biopack materials, so the, the things you buy your, just, you know, your juices and things like that in. And, and so but what's it like, turn up in a block? Uh, it turns up on a roll. Right. Um, so a, a one kilo roll is how we use it, and it's like a, it's like a string. It's like a, like a whippersnipper cord. Right, okay. And, then, and, and somehow it all sort of... Yeah. Layers and mixes into it, each other or something. To, yeah, to so it's a flat thing. Yeah, so the best way that we've described it is a um, a three D printer is just like a robot, uh, a hot glue gun on a robot arm. So it, it pulls in the the material, and heats it up, and it squeezes it out, and then it draws out a profile of what you want to do, and then it moves up one layer, and then you you do the same. You draw another profile, and you move up one layer, you draw another profile. So you can make you make very complex parts layer by layer. With gaps in them, with holes in them, with with moving parts, um, like those those little 
slugs, they're produced in one pass with all the holes and pins and stuff already fitted. And then um, your 3D printer ha- already has a software design. Yep. You've already put the design into into your software. The software then tells the printer what to do. Exactly. Yep. And the printer then p- prints this out. And you're suddenly starting to print, uh, print face masks or produce face mm. masks for hospitals Yeah. in uh, just Wollongong or where? Uh, originally in Wollongong, yep. Um, and then we we unboxed, so I said we had all those 3D printers. We unboxed half of them. And we set them all out in a um, in a lecture hall that wasn't being used, and then we set those up to run pretty much twenty four hours a day. Oh, really? Yeah. At peak, we were making just under two thousand of those face shields a day. So, like, I mean, if we were trying to work out how many plastic face shields we needed in Australia during the height of the pandemic, yeah. well, we we were underdone, obviously. But what we're we talking about ten thousand or fifty thousand, or uh, uh, in New South Wales, it would have been hundreds of thousands. Right. Yeah. Wow. And and how how many did you guys start to produce then? So is this new business? Would you call this a new business of yours? It, it was for um, oh, probably for about two two or three months. It was a, a reasonable business. We weren't trying to make a lot of money out of it, um, but we were trying to cover things like like super, make sure that you know our staff don't go hungry, you know that that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. never going to be a long term business for us, but it filled a gap when we had absolutely nothing else to do. I was going to say the, the, how, how important. Was it for you and all the people who work with you and for you during this period actually to give them something to do? Yeah. Like, like, hey guys, yeah. this is what we're doing, and we're doing a good thing. Yeah, I mean, we're our office is really social. Um, like, we will we'll get together over the weekends. We'll get together at nights. We, we're a very, very, very good social group. Um, and then to all of a sudden not see each other every day, not have contact, all that sort of stuff. It was really hard, and so this gave us. This gave us something to do. It gave us a reason to come into the into the space and do this work. And I think having it as such a big challenge, having it as as this challenge of setting up a, a manufacturing site in a few days and then running it for you know for weeks and months at a time, sometimes twenty four hours a day, was that sort of challenge that needed that we needed to have to sort of bring everyone back together. It was really, really, really good. Yeah. And and then what's happened from there though? So like. Have you have you gone back to any normality yet in terms of business for you? It's it's still not normal. Yeah, it's still not normal. The yeah certainly the the education sales dropped right off. Um, our focus now is selling software into sort of North America, into the UK. Um, that's now our challenge. Yeah, so being able to. I don't know. We're, we're moving. We're moving all around. So, but how you guys placed now? I mean, you, you went through that period of that. that the initial COVID period, helping out the hospitals and responding yep. to their their demand. Yep. You filled the emergency. Yep. That, that, that was good. That was our goal, yeah. Yeah. Kept all your people, you know, occupied, gave everyone yep. a purpose. But now we still have COVID. Um, those things that were stopping you selling here, for example, in Australia, are still in existence because they're still not going to hold conventions and those sorts of things. Mm. How do you get to the school? Because the schools would still have a demand for this, mm. maybe next year or at some stage. Yeah. There's not going to be conventions. They're not going to be exhibitions. You won't be able to build kiosks. How can you get to the schools in a virtual way? Is, yeah. uh, is someone saying we're going to hold a virtual convention? We're going to have a virtual exhibition hall somewhere in yeah. Melbourne? And is that happening? So we've started working with our with our resellers, um, and they're holding mini conferences or mini conventions, essentially like a. It's probably the worst way to describe it, but like a Tupperware party. Yeah. Right where 
It's a Zoom convention or as a physical? As a physical one. Right. Yeah. So we're just a few representatives from from the schools around yep. meet up in a, a single school. Yep. Um, so maybe two from, from each school. Just enough to get enough information. And a demo. Yeah. And and, and a bit of a, a, a look and feel so they yeah. can see. So your wife must be having uh, having pups because, uh, you know, that's extraordinarily inefficient. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it is. I mean, it's better to put everybody in one place mm. at one time in one big hall yep. you know, and get a you know, thousand people there yeah. as opposed to doing it uh, in a, a, a thousand halls with three or four people at a time. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, that you've got to do it's what you've got to do. Gotta do. Yeah. yeah. And so do you, do you do it on social? So do you have demos of what kids could do at a school or what a school could do for kids mm. like online? Yeah, not not so much. Yeah. Yeah, but it'd be cool if um, – Yeah. If there was, you know, Matt was sitting there with Fletcher and uh, what's your wife's name? Leanne. Leanne, sort of telling your story about, uh, and then somehow uh, getting school principals, hitting up all the school principals and say, listen, have mm. a look at this. If they have any interest, let us know. And because uh, what are, who, and like, who do school principals follow apart from making sure that TikTok's not getting into the, <laughs> the heads of their kids? I mean, who do school principals follow on Instagram? Are they, they're, they're probably not big Instagram users. Uh, I don't know. I think you'd be surprised. Certainly the – Well, then that's good. Yeah. I would happily yeah. be surprised because then you can sort of say, well, why don't you have a look at what, what, what I'm doing and educate the schools through yeah. social mediums and show – because, like, that's another way of picking them off. Yeah. But okay. it's more efficient. Yeah. But, um, you, can, you can get to more. And if, if – do principals all talk to each other? I'm assuming yeah, they do. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a really tight network. Yeah, I would have thought so. So um, over time, if I'm a principal of uh, a school yeah. outside of Wollongong there, uh, I might – no, the the guy and the principal of the road, and I'm always saying, "Hey, you should follow this Instagram because it's really cool." Yeah, and uh, they're doing some stuff that that we could incorporate into our STEM program at school. Yeah, that might be pretty cool stuff because, that, well, I mean, I don't know. Like, you're always looking for something a bit different. And I, as you said, you said it right at the beginning, it's a bit like staring at a spider move around mm. a table. It's funny, you know. On Instagram, I probably would stare at that. Actually, yeah. stare at a spider. Because a lot of Instagram is like that. Yeah. You're just looking at stuff. But if I actually looked at a real spider moving around a table, I would actually would be interested to look at it for a, a minute or two. If you then turn that into me watching the the printer print something, and even if you could speed it up and play yeah. around with the speeds, um, that might be something I'm quite interested in, especially if you could show me something that my students might be interested in building. Yeah, yeah. Like if I'm a science teacher or if I'm a principal and I've got a science teacher want to get kids interested in science and we're talking about biology, for example, mm. Um, and I'm holding here a, a vertebrae, I assume. I don't know if it's a human vertebrae, but it could be. Yep. If I was doing that, I, I, I reckon I would love to watch that being printed. Um, you might speed it up, take it away from real time and yeah. uh, speed up and give me the outcome really quickly and then hold it and demonstrate it. And uh, then they say, well, you know, the spinal cord goes down here and this is attached to a muscle or something. That, that would be pretty, pretty cool if you're talking to teachers yeah. and uh, principals. Because everybody wants to say we've got an edge. That'd be a good edge to have. I, I would have thought it's a good thing for schools to have. And like you like you yeah. said, stories about that boy who, is it a boy or a girl? The one yeah, who, it was a boy, yeah. Who didn't like to go to school. Yeah. That's a great story. I love that story. And he's probably he's probably quite a smart kid but just bored. Yeah, yeah. And what, he probably just thought oh, school's just boring. Yeah. Now, they're the kids you want to get engaged because they're going to adventure something. They're going to say, oh, shit, I can use that to do this. Um, that's who I want. That's who the country wants engaged. Mm. That's who we want to be forming part of these tech hubs down in Wollongong yeah. or wherever it is. 
Um, that's who the schools need to be getting to. They're good. That's a great story. I mean, you could promote that to the education system. Yeah. So creative kids need these. Need something to do. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you could become you, – you're building education stuff. Mm. You could become an educator of the educators. Mm. Yeah, and because I think our educators need education. I, I really think they need education. I yeah. mean, I, I, the greatest respect to them because they're – because they're, they're also administrators, you know, like they, they're loaded up with parent problems, kid problems, now COVID problems, yep. government problems, regulatory environments, blah, 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 you know, 10 times cleaning this, you know, like are we doing, am I going to get into trouble because yep. I haven't done something or other? Um, they're probably dying for something creative mm. to be done for them, but they can't do it because yeah. they don't have time for it. Yeah, it feels and, like teaching's the, at the bottom. Totally. And you yeah. could, I mean, your business could actually uh, really excite some of them because, like, if I was in that role, I'd be, oh, my, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm, I shouldn't be getting excited for you, but I am. Please. Um, but I, I think it's a great ed- opportunity for you to educate the educator about exciting, cool stuff yeah. that can set my school aside from everybody else. And if you just if you just save one kid mm. from being, as a result of being bored or not stimulated enough from becoming no good, then I think you've done a brilliant job. Mm. That's me. That's how I think about schools. Yeah. Schools is not just is not for the ninety nine point nine percent of kids who are just going to do their go there do their thing do the agency go to university or whatever it is they do after that. It's for me. It's about that one or two kids that you save. Yeah, yeah. and you turn them into something great. Yeah, that's that's the exceptional part. And what I reckon what you guys are doing is actually could actually could pick up one or two of those kids in mm. the exceptional section. You know what I mean, and become a really big yeah. instrument in um, making us a, a better a better system because yeah, right now I think the system does let kids fall through the cracks, through yeah. boredom. Yep, absolutely. I mean, do you get excited about those sorts of things, thinking about that sort of stuff? I mean, I'm getting yeah. really tactile about this but, thing here in front of me. But, I, I, I mean, I, by the way, this actually this is very clever the way this, this is done. I mean, you probably won't be able to see this, but it actually looks like bone. Mm. Yeah, It's not just plastic. It looks like it's porous. I mean, it's not, but it looks like it could be slightly porous. Is that part of the design? So that that's taken directly from a, a CT scan. Um, right. So this is this is a feature that's coming up for us, is for you to take the CT scan that you get from your when you go to the doctor. Yep. You know after you've broken your arm or whatever, and drop it into our software, and you get a three D printed part out of it. And it's faithful to everything in dimensions. Yep. All the dimensions are faithful to what the CT scan. Yep. Would say. Would say. Yep. Yep. Okay, that's very good. So. It's very, very tactical. I mean, it must be great in an education sense in terms of universities and various other places where they're trying to show some of what, how something works. Yeah, and the, I think the important thing is you can make it personal. So you can have the, you'd have the skeleton sitting in the corner of the science room, but if you can print, you know, if you break a finger and you've got a scan of your hand, you can now bring that into class and print your hand as it's broken for the rest of the class to use. And now, because it's personal, because it's tactile, you're actually going to remember it. It's not just something that's a poster on the wall. I've never actually seen anything like that. Um, it's, it's very cool. Um, so oh, let's get back to the to the pivot. So the pivot has now. What did the pivot teach you about what your future needs to be for your business? Given that you know you might still do some build some more of these face mm. guards, shields, um, but what has it taught you about um, your own business? going forward. Yeah, I mean I guess I guess it's it's taught us that we we need to be able to do whatever we need to do. There is no there is no position descriptions, there is no bucket that I can put my job into. When the shit hits the fan, 
you need to just do whatever it is that you can do. In a lot of ways, it, it prompted us to refocus onto just the things that we needed to do and cut absolutely everything out. Yeah, no excess. No excess, no, no fluffy stuff. If it doesn't need to be done, then it doesn't need to be done. Don't, then don't do it. Um, I think we, before then, we had still spent quite a lot of time, I don't know, doing things that we thought the business needed, but it wasn't the one thing that had to get done. And that's, that's really taught us that sort of, that sort of approach now. Sort of brings us back to one of the points I made to right at the very beginning when I turned up Chicago and I saw these guys mm. building a whole lot of rubbish. And it wasn't rubbish. It was cool stuff. But in the end, I just said, let's just get one thing that we can build that the world wants and that we can sell and then we can become good at, which is what we did. And then it became a software business, which is sort of your business now. Yep. Your business is more software than hardware, isn't it? Yeah. If I, like in 18 months, two years from now, if we don't do anything to do with 3D printing and we are a we're a software business that makes software for different things, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and, and, and it's actually probably easier too because you're not holding a whole lot of parts. That's right. Yeah. And a whole lot of stock, yeah, which could be obsolete for the same reason as COVID made was stuffed you last time because yeah. there's a lot of money in that, a lot of capital tied up into that. Yeah. I'm, I always, I'm, I'm asking lots of questions here, but I, I, I always give her an opportunity to ask me one question. Have you, have you got a question for me? Yeah, well, I guess with, with your background – going from a hardware business to a software business. When, <laughs> how hard is it to cut the hardware? When do you do it? And when you've got so many, I guess, when you've got so many customers already built up around that, that hardware, like what sort of challenges do you run into? Well, I had staff challenges for a start. Um, and, but, I, but the, the biggest challenge for us was, Weaning our own ourselves off our own sense of importance about our how good our product was, um, and that really meant a restructure of the business. So the people in our business um, who dominated our business were the hardware designers, because we were hard, start off as a hardware business, and we had to actually turn the whole business into a software business. So it, it, that meant that we had to sort of start to recruit a whole new team. So we had to actually become and make it, it get clear in our minds that we are a software development business and. Over time, we had to drop off the hardware. And so we still do a little bit of hardware, but not much. And then we had to make sure our software was able to speak to everybody mm. else's hardware. Um, and we had to get the manufacturers to, to allow us, the, the hardware manufacturers to allow us to do that because most of these guys want to build their own little chain. They want you to buy their hardware, so you buy all their software too. Yep. We had to change our whole, our whole mindset. Our biggest challenge was becoming a software business from being a hardware business. And that meant... Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the mechanical engineers had to sort of move away mm-hmm. out of the business and or the, the guys who started the business had to become, make the realization you're in business. It doesn't matter whether you're a mechanical mm-hmm. engineer or electrical engineer, it's irrelevant. You're in the business of creating software that talks to other people's hardware. And, you know, and fortunately for us, this is a long time ago, the internet of things started to evolve and M2M, you know, machine to machine, uh, all those concepts, uh, you know, started to turn hardware, to be honest with you, into uh, – it's, it was nothing. It was just like everywhere. You know, our hardware was, wasn't anything special. And no right. hardware was special. It was just everywhere. It was like uh, reading glasses or mobile phones. They're, they're just everywhere. Yeah. Everyone can make them. And we had to make sure that uh, we then ha- had a, a strong understanding of our purpose. And uh, that was a, that, so that was a reshape, a complete reshape. It took a long time, a really long time. 
And, uh, and it took a long time for us to work with other, our clients didn't become the end user. Our client became the, the hardware provider. Mm. Yep. That's the thing that became important to us. So who do we talk to? Who's our client? What do they want from us as opposed to what the end consumer wants, which you've been working with the end consumer, the schools. Yeah. Um, for me, as I said earlier, someone like you, you have a great opportunity. I mean, you're young guys, girls. We live in an environment in Australia where, you know, to be frank with you, we are now willing to adopt anything and we're going to rely less on people from overseas. We're going to have mm. to do things here. And education to me is a, a really important of the Australian part of the Australian psyche and, you know, STEM or just technology generally. Yeah. Anything to do with technology, if parents can understand how important it is for your kids to be adept, just nor, like average at it yep. as opposed to less than average, um, they would be putting pressure on the schools. Or if a school principal wants to excel as a school over time, they got to get their hands around the technology. And one of the things about technology right now is this sort of stuff. Even if they don't have anything to do with 3D printing or designing stuff, it's an introduction to technology. That's right. And I think it's, if you get your people in your business, their head around how important they are, like this is cool. Mm. And it's right here in Wollongong. Mm. That's right. It's all local. Local. All your ability is here. I mean, it, this is great educational material. I'm not saying printing something. I'm saying being in the education printing things. You know, how do I teach people to print these things? Yep. To teach their students how to make things and to have be better students. I think that's a cool thing. And it's a huge, I, I think there's going to be a huge demand for this going forward. Yeah. Huge. But someone has to take the first step. Someone has to be the one to start to bring it to the minds of all the educators around the place. This is what we need to be doing. And I might be sitting right in front of the guy who's going to do it. He's hoping. No, I'm serious. It may well be. This is something that comes out mm. of something good that comes out of COVID. And, um, and, you know, right now I'm hoping that I'm talking to someone who actually is a big participant, maybe a driver of Australia becoming one of the best educators in the world when mm. it comes to technology. Yeah, I, I hope so. Is, well, is my best. Yeah. Do better than that. Go and do something about it. Good on you, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.